Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning. That's more like it. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to share with you this morning, and thank you, Matt and Anna, for inviting me to do so. It's a kind of a surreal experience for me, because between 1968 and 1972, my dad used to stand up there as a lay reader and preach 45 minutes. You're not getting 45 this morning. <laughs> he won't ask me back if I do that. <laughs> you know, someone said to me, you know, the gospel is eternal, but it doesn't mean that you have to speak eternally. <laughs> But it was, it, so it's kind of surreal that God in his wisdom kind of got me out of where I was up at St. Albans and has now got me back here and I've come home. I've come home. And as I've been thinking and praying about, you know, what I was going to speak about, in fact, when Matt asked me, I was talking to Ken, uh, Candice, yep, and I knew immediately what I was going to talk about today. And... It's going to be a, the title of the message, if you want a title, is Salt and Light. That's what God calls us to be, Salt and Light. And as you're reading Matthew this month in your daily readings, and I, you know, you're taking a year to get through the, the New Testament. Hmm. That's plenty of time. You could do it in half the time. Just, <laughs> you, you, just all you need to do is read more pages. Stop, stop. <laughs> Anyway, let's give you a little bit overview before we dip into the text. Matthew, obviously the book of Matthew, Matthew written by a Jew, to the Jews, about a Jew. You like that, didn't you? Matthew seeks to present Jesus as the king of the Jews. Matthew, like a lawyer, seeks to present the evidence, starting with the genealogy of Jesus, the bit that most of us don't read. He who begat. You know, people don't read it, but friends, you should read it because what it's telling you is this. If the Judean monarchy was still alive, it wasn't by the time, obviously, Herod was in the place, Jesus would have been king because you can read the lineage there. Yeah, he would have been king. So when Jesus said, I am a king, it wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't hyperbole. It was fact. But the Judean monarchy had finished. Anyway, a little bit of information for you. <laughs> The genealogies, we see that in Matthew, most of the Old Testament ideas are brought there. That's why it's the first book, because it bridges between the Old Testament and the New Testament beautifully. And most importantly of all, of the synoptic Gospels, the three of them, Jesus is presented, as I said, in Matthew as the king. In Mark, he's presented as the servant, and Luke, we, he's presented as, as, as in his humanity, and of course, um, John in his deity. But here, Matthew is looking at him as king. So that's like a little backdrop before we actually drop into the text. And so some of the key themes as you're reading through uh, Matthew, the kingdom of God, God rules in the affairs of human beings. Please remember that when you read the news and when you listen to the news. Remember that Mr. Trump is not running things. Neither is Mr. Johnson. God is still on the throne. It is, it is his world. So that's one of the themes. The church, Matthew 16, 18, what does Peter say to the first pope of the church? Joke. <laughs> I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then we've got the second coming, and then you've got the ethical teachings of Jesus, Matthew 5, that we just read there, which is a monumental piece of teaching there. 
most of us who preachers, we're afraid to go to Matthew 5 because there's just so much there. You could preach a whole year on that. So that's just a quick backdrop. So as you're reading Matthew, just a little bit of an overview, what we call, the theologians call little meta-narrative, the background there, you see. <laughs> now, focus for today. We're going to focus on Jesus as he begins the proclamation of the king. He's proclaiming. He's been presented, that's the early part of Matthew. Now he begins to proclaim and bring his message. Now, so let's read it here. Salt and light. You are salt of the earth, but the salt, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made more salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, what does Jesus say we are? He says we're the salt of the earth. What does that mean? We are the most curative, healing, restorative, therapeutic, redemptive people in the earth. You and me. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that's what you are in your community, where you live, where you work. Redemptive, curative. Where do you think we get the word curate from? Cure of souls. The idea that we are curative. Now, I will develop that a little later. However, when our society begins to decay, and you know what? When that ha- how that happens? When we withdraw from our role in society to be the transformative power and salt that God has called us to be. And in fact, when we withdraw, the transformative power of the gospel is lost. I take your minds back. Andy Flanagan uh, was invited here by Matt. Do you remember? It was November. I think it was the 20th of November. I remember it well because I was up in Birmingham and I took the trouble to come all the way down. And having listened to his challenge to us as followers of Jesus to get involved in our community, you know, parent teachers associations, counselors, community leaders, I bought the book. I think your dad bought it as well, didn't he, Matt? Yeah? Yeah. Those Who Show Up. (laughs) That book impacted me. What did I learn? And I'm just going to summarize it here for you. I, like many kind of evangelical, charismatic believers of my generation, because I'm older than I look. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm 60, you know. I know I look good, but I'm 60. (laughs) Stop it. And my daughter said, like, no, Dad, don't go there. <laughs> but the thing is this, you know, I was taught that you, you pray for the leaders. You know, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 3, you know, pray for those in authority over you that you might have a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and sincerity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Yes? So I prayed and I petitioned and I emailed because that's what we were t- taught to do. But what we weren't taught to do was to actually get involved join a political party, or become a local councillor, or get involved 
in a way other than go to church and pray. That's what we were taught. Uh, um, hello, is this, that's what I was taught. So that's what I did. And I'm just making sure I'm talking to the right group of people here. Yeah? You know. So that's what I was taught. Now, what has been the effect of that type of behavior over the period of time that I would have been coming to this church 40-odd years ago? We no longer, as a church, are salty. We are no longer curative. We're not healing. We're not restorative. We're not therapeutic and redemptive the way God wants us to be. And what happens when we do exercise our voice, when we do speak up? <laughs> the church is marginalized. You know, if, if the Archbishop of Cantonese talks about something that's economic, it's like, oh, no, you're not supposed to talk about that. You're supposed to deal with spiritual matters, darling. <laughs> like somehow spiritual and, 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 by the way, I have to say, it's a Greek idea, this idea of secular and sacred. This is a, not a biblical perspective. The Bible doesn't teach that there are two separate worlds. There's only one world. Deuteronomy 8, it says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, strength, and soul. I have to go fast because I've only got 20 minutes. So, and the reality is you should speak it when you are with your children. In other words, it's holistic. It's, the, it's, it's not like when you go to work, you step out of the presence of God, God, God. When you come into the church, you, speak in, you step into the presence of God. Rubbish. You are always in the presence of God. Come back to my point. <laughs> so when the church does speak up, the secular humanists and the rationalists, they try to marginalize the church and say, no, stay in your box. You're to do with spiritual matters. Don't talk about business and commerce and all that and politics. That's for us to deal with. And, of course, what's happened is now, because we're not there, then all of a sudden we find we have laws and things that come upon us that actually mitigates against the very things that we believe. But, you know, friends, it's our fault because we've not been there. We've said, oh, we can't get involved in politics or whatever because it's a dirty business. But the reality is we left the gap and the enemies filled the gap. So what does Jesus say? But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That's rough. <laughs> That's rough. He's basically saying, look, if you don't have any saltiness, I'm not going to try and put me, I'm not going to try and give me back. You should be just thrown out. Now, you, you just see the double import of that. He was speaking this to the Pharisees, who were the religious people who were supposed to be the group of people that were to make the good news of the kingdom available to those people, Gentiles around. And they were too busy doing their religion. And they had lost their effectiveness. And Jesus said to them, you might as well just chuck you out. Pretty rough. However, we who've had the privilege to lead have also been a part of the problem. He said, What do you mean? As someone who has been a pastor and both a lay and part time, I spent a great deal of my time putting together teaching and training programs that equip folk to pray for the sick, to understand the Bible, to deal with sinful, multi-generational problems or patterns. We 
taught people how to speak about Jesus. All great stuff, however, what it did was fill people's lives with so much extra activity, that's not including hub groups to come, <laughs> that there was not, any, not enough time or energy to get involved in areas outside of church. You know, well, this is how it works. You were not a follower of Jesus, you, you, you could belong, and then you believed, and then we, right, you, you believe, okay, we'll see if we can make you a volunteer. Okay, uh, oh, we see anointing on you, we see ability on you, oh, maybe we should see if we can, haven't got them, get them onto maybe staff, you know, or you know, part-time. And then there's real anointing, all oh, right, maybe this one is for the, for the ministry. Nothing wrong with that. But you see, what we did is that we just took one bit of business that you had in your life before you were Jesus, and now we replaced it with church business. And I did it for years. We put a six-week program together, and you could do, you know, basically 101, this is vineyard, or this is whatever. Then 102, how to do prayer ministry. Then 103, how to read your Bible. Or 104, you know, Bible experience, go through the Bible, whatever, whatever, whatever. So when time you come home from work, you put on your clothes, you run to the meeting. Now, these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but what it did is it meant that you could never get involved in a parent-teacher association. You could never go along to a council meeting because you were too busy doing what? Church. We couldn't be salt. You see, if you read the text there, the salt's supposed to be in the where? Hello? Where is it supposed to be? In the world. Exactly right. It's supposed to be in the world, not in the church building. You know, we, 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 the, the idea is not that we're salty with each other. The issue is that we're salty out there. Yeah? That's the, that's the, issue, that's the check issue, isn't it? That's what it should be about. What then is the great temptation for us as a church as we move into the next phase? My observation, since I've come here for some months now, this is a wonderful congregation. We have lots of young professionals here. We've got journalists here. We've got teachers here. Yeah, we've got all types of people, young and out there. Okay, no worries. She knows her dad. We also have and the people who are older professionals. And by the way, happy birthday to Marcus. Where are you? Where's Marcus? Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to Marcus, one of our, like me, older professionals. <laughs> right? Yeah? See? Right? He's, a, he's an economist. So we have this wonderful mix, wonderful demographic of people, young, young professionals, etc., older professionals, etc., etc. And the key thing now as we move into the next phase is, not, is that we don't fill up the program with lots of activity. So there's no opportunity for you to get involved in the community that you are a part of. You see, the salt has to be out there, not in here. And what we do is, we, it's almost like we want to escape from the world into church. Now, you know, I need to warn some of you, good things and bad things happen in church. It's in the book. But the reality is that Jesus says, look, you need to be salt in the world. Here's the question. How can we 
empower followers of Jesus to be salt and light where they, are being, where they have been called to work. How can we empower followers of Jesus? I don't use the word Christian because that has the wrong, you know, Christian means many things to people. I'm a follower of Jesus. To be salt and light where they've been called to work. The goal is not for everyone, as I said, to become a volunteer. Yes, we need volunteers, okay? Or an ordinary or any of those things. But here's the point. 95% of the church is made up of folks who who have been called to shine as lights in the world of business, politics, media, arts, religion, education, community. That's where most of us are. Hello? Yes? I know I'm in your face a bit. Please forgive me. (laughs) You know. But the thing is, you know, folks... I'm one of you. I'm, you know, as much as yes, you could say, well, you sound like you've been trained. Yes, I have been trained. But the reality <laughs> is, right, that I'm unlike you. So the reality is, I'm thinking, if I'm a pastor, if I'm someone leader, what, how can I empower the people that God entrusts to us so that they can be salt and light where God has called them to be? You see, by the way, in a sense, we make a big thing of someone who, who's been working for, you know, in a, like, Mike Matt, who was a teacher, and now he's called to the ministry. And then in the Church of England, we do the three years thing, and then you know, and then we kind of ordain them. They're called to the ministry, and 95% of us who are actually out there, we've been called too, but we don't have a ceremony to set us apart onto the ministry. <laughs> I look out. I say, Jenny, there's there. She's a journalist. Don't embarrass you. Flush, <laughs> right? She's been called to do that. Just as I think we've got finance here. Where is it? Kit is in finance. Yeah, yeah, there she is. There you go. Right? Each one of you have been called by God to be in that sphere, to shine as lights. What we have to do as church is to empower you so you can do that effectively so that you can shine as a light there and not just fill up your life with lots of activities to do with church, but give you space so you can spend time with some of those people who need you to be there to be redemptive, to be curative, to be therapeutic, to demonstrate the love of God by just being there. So what what does Jesus say to his followers? You are what? The light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me tell you something. When we were made before the fall, there was glory in us because God put that glory in us. What happened at the fall was when Satan came and tempted us, and this is the temptation, he said, you will be like God's. We were! That's the irony, we were. Anyway, when we fell, the glory, this is what a lady called Lisa McGuinness said, Satan robbed God of his glory by robbing us of ours. Forward, John 17. Jesus is in the garden. And he says to the Father, I, as a man, have glorified your name in the earth. Now glorify your son. What's the issue is here is that there is glory in us 
We are made in the image of God. And when Jesus, that cross has disappeared, died on that cross, and he redeemed us, that's a, from our stuff. You know what Colossians tells us, that the decrees that were hostile to us, that mitigated against us, Jesus nailed it to the cross, having triumphed over principalities and powers, his blood cleansed our sin. But what he also did is he took the authority back that was lost in the garden. And the glory that's in us, the work of the cross is that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, begins to redeem your life and undo all the works of darkness in you so that ultimately your light radiates that glory that originally was there before the fall. So when Jesus says, let your light shine, he's talking about the glory that was already in us and the redemptive work of the cross is there to bring that glory back to the Father through your, my, your, our lives. So, you are the light of the world. Now, you might be saying this morning, and as I was preparing this, the Lord said to me, you know, there's some people who are saying, well, Lord, I don't feel I'm a light. I feel I've compromised my life. I think the people that I'm working with, they would never know that I'm a you know, follower of Jesus. I've done some things I really feel ashamed about. And let me tell you this morning, God's going to switch your light back on. He's going to switch your light back on because he's dealt with the shame and the pain on the cross. And when you come to him this morning, you make confession of that, it's dealt with. And you can walk in the light as he is in the light, and you can have fellowship with him and fellowship with one another because of the blood of Jesus. So if that's you, you can come and get some prayer later. So let me bring this into land to use your vernacular. Yeah, KXC vernacular. When people get excited, they go, come on. I thought, what's this all about? <laughs> Here we go then. You are the light of the world. His, this is how it works. Which means, as a follower of Jesus, you have his word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalm 119, verse 105. That's why it's so important in this time, as we're looking to go through the New Testament, that you read his word. In fact, when you read the word, actually what's happening is the word reads you. The Word has been reading me for over 42 years. Yeah, the Word reads you. Wisdom. You have wisdom because you have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 13. 30. A beautiful thing about Paul says, not many of you were wise. Not many of you had, you know, not, you, know you can. You didn't have status, you know. You didn't have qualifications, you know. You didn't have academic. But this is what he says. He says, but this is God. He, he tells the people that are not to confound the people who think they are. He, thinks the, he, he, he uses the people who are weak to deal with the people that are strong. Yeah? And then it says, you have the mind of Christ. And by the way, if you need wisdom, James 1.5 says, ask God who gives to all people liberally. Yeah? I used to hear that here, because, you know, as an Anglican, the Lord who gives to all men liberally. <laughs> you know, I always wanted to talk like an Anglican, you know, because of the echo. <laughs> Yeah. It's kind of nice, you can throw your voice out there. Tell her I'm busy. <laughs> That's 20 minutes, then. Yeah, three minutes. That's your, that's your time. Is it? Yeah. It's time out, isn't it? <laughs> so you are... Okay, look. The next thing is you have authority over all the works of the enemy. Matthew 28, 
18 and 19, God, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Now go. That's it. it. See, what you need to understand, in the garden, we only had dominion over the earth. That's what Adam had. But Jesus, when he got the authority back, it says in Ephesians that his name is above every other name that is to be named not only in this world, but that which is to come. So as a follower of Jesus, we have more authority than Adam ever had. He only had it in this realm. We've got it in this realm and above principalities and powers in Jesus. We have to learn how to exercise that authority. And of course, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. When he, look what happened. 120 people in the room, they're all, Jesus is gone. What are we going to do? That's what it was like. You know? And when Jesus said, I'm leaving, please, Jesus, don't go. You've only just come back. Yeah? He said, no, but I've got to go, because if I don't go, he won't come. So they're thinking like, well, who's coming? Chapter 2, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, power of God comes upon them, and 120 people blast 3,000 people into the kingdom in one day. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Look, let me tell you this. The saint has done a good job to keep the Holy Spirit out of the church or restrict his activity to just conviction and conversion. But if we're going to get the job done, we need to embrace the Holy Spirit because he's the one that Jesus has sent to the church so we can do works of power in his name, we can raise the dead, we can pray for the sick, or you can play church. Don't want to do that. I didn't come down here for that. I came down here so that you would know that the Holy Spirit is the one. He's the key. When we embrace him, we will rock, Prince Park, because it's not our power, it's the Holy Spirit through us. Dunamis, power. Now, someone say amen. But sorry, I'm in a different church here. (laughs) Thank you. All right, we're going to bring this into land. So, what Jesus is giving us is the same creation mandate that Father gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 27, 28. And friends, the battle is about the image of God in us. That's what the battle is out there. Satan's plan is to erase the image of God in any way possible in us and in our society. And that's what the battle's about. But God's mandate is for us to rule and have dominion and to restore, which is recreation. So how do we glorify the Father in the marketplace? And this is, as it were, the exegesis, the practical application, <laughs> as it were, you know, for those who are doing the preaching, <laughs> the practical application of the things that we talked about. Okay inner life, intimacy and solitude. We need to spend time with him in his word. In other words, get to know his ways. We need to spend time with him in solitude and prayer. You may not believe, but I love solitude. And God speaks to me in those quiet times. And we need to spend time with those people who you know and you make yourself known to. People who will pray for you, who you confess your sins to, as I know to God, but they know the the good Dennis and the bad Dennis, so that we have community and we have intimacy. You know, don't matter how big the church comes, gets, we need to have those people who are in our lives. Who, where were you? We've missed you. You need those people around you. Now our outer life, because our outer life flows from our inner life. And here we're talking about love, compassion, kindness, and mercy. Spend time with the people you work with. Listen to them, befriend them, and as they begin to share their life, pray 
pay for them. Let me give you an example. We met, um, Eileen bought a car, must be 15 years ago, car salesman, and we became friends. We met up with them, we have another business, they joined that business, that's not the point. We became friends and then we didn't meet up for a long time. Then the wife rang and she said, would you come over and see us? I said, okay. So I went over and it was the wife and the daughter. Uh, the husband had left. So we talked and then I prayed with them and I prayed, you know, obviously that he would come back. He did come back. Got a text. Christmas, hi, would you come out for lunch, da 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 da, da. you know, it would be great. So Friday we went out for lunch. Paul is a 59er, 1959, good year, he's 60. And he, you think I can talk, he can talk, right? And he was downloading, it was like being engaged with a hard drive, <laughs> right? But it was good. You know, we talk about boxing, etc., etc. Anyway, we get to the end of the day, we go out for lunch, it's a lovely lunch, and his wife comes and the daughter comes and we have a great time, and then we go back for another session of talking. And then we get, his wife comes home, and we finish the talking, and then he's, he's got this terrible pain. And I, I can feel the Lord promptly say, you're going to pray for him, aren't you? I said, well, yes, okay, when I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we get to the moment, and I said, I'll call him John. I said, John, where's the... the I said, you, you've got the pain. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. Now, keep your eyes open. I'm not going to do anything spooky. Ooh, none of that stuff, right? Okay. So I said, all right, let, I'll just put my hand there. All right, and I just... And when you pray, well, this is something to learn. When you're praying for healing, you don't say, Lord, heal him. You speak to the pain. So I spoke to the pain in the name of Jesus we command this pain and the ligaments to go down in Jesus Christ's name because he was just going to get a paracetamol. So, and this is what you do. As you're praying, I say, uh, uh, John, give us some feedback. How's it feeling? And he's like, ooh. Well, if it's 10, when it's really painful, what is it now? He says, it's three. I says, good, let's do some more. Now, any of you can do this because this is not the super saints. All you are super saints. <laughs> Pray some more, and it was gone. Now, they got new rings because after they got back together again. So I said, let me bless these rings. So I blessed them. Then I said, let's say the, the, uh, the marriage ceremony, because I've done it that number of times. I said, you know, for better words, bless them. And they went away, uh, you know, went off and they were happy. Now, friends, you can do that for the people that you work with when you get to know them. Because what will happen is as you are open to them, and the key here is to learn to listen then at the appropriate time, the Holy Spirit will nod you. And in that moment that you pray for them, you're being sought. And you're being light. So, that's when we become salt in our community and begin to restore God's kingdom. That's when we are light. You see, when we recognize that our inner life flows out of our, our, our outer life flows out of our inner life, and as we begin to be open and available to God wherever God has put us to be, then He can begin to use us to touch people's lives. Now then, it's me finish, but you know what? Let's stand.